everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, Carrie Parker, as always. And this week we've got another one of our Castle Defense 101 series. A couple of months ago we had a special Castle Defense series on web tracking, and this is related, but today we're going to be talking about web browsers. Which is the most secure web browser? Which is the safest web browser for you to use? Choose your weapon. So uh, we're going to get into that in just a little bit. And of course, our tip of the week will be around that same subject. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about the news that's happened in the last week or so. Now, this first story didn't get a lot of press, uh, probably because it's pretty arcane. Uh, but it brought up some interesting issues that I wanted to make sure that I talked to, uh, to you guys about. So uh, there was an article on Ars Technica about a new sort of exploit for antivirus software of all things and they're calling it AV Gator G A T E R uh and the point of the broader point I want to make uh, with this is that sometimes uh, antivirus software AV software can actually be worse than not having it uh we've talked about this a few times on the show before so I'll get to that in a second but let's let's start with this article so a security researcher named Florian Bogner uh, whose job it is to try to find holes in things and figure out ways that hackers might abuse something, has been looking at antivirus software. And so, as you may or may not think about, antivirus software, what, what generally it does is it is watching your computer looking for malicious software. And that's generally software that you're probably downloading. In the old days, this would have been something you might have put on a floppy disk or or something uh, that you put into your computer, maybe a USB flash drive. Uh, but today, most of us get infected uh, by downloading files. And that came from probably a bad email, you know, some link or a button in an email or a web page that or a pop-up that told us to download and install some player or something, uh, we are usually tricked into downloading and installing the software. And the antivirus software is there to look for this activity, try to see these files as they come down and get downloaded, and stop you before you try to install or run these programs. So the way that usually works is these antivirus officer software packages, first of all, they have some sort of a blacklist. They've got some sort of a signature list of all of the known malware that they can find. And a lot of these companies share uh, similar lists, huge, huge lists at this point, because there's been so much malware out there uh, in, in the past decade or two. There's a lot to keep track of. So they're trying to find all this software and they're trying to keep these lists up to date. And it's really hard to do. Uh, but if they find something that, that, that they know is bad, or in some cases, uh, some of the uh, antivirus software now is actually looking for behavior that looks bad. Uh, so it's more of a heuristic approach, which is a little more effective against things that it's never seen before, obviously, because if it hasn't seen it before, it's not in the list. Uh, so it's got to do kind of both of these things. And, you know, it's really hard to do because there's so much malware out there and it's changing all the time. But let's say it, you've downloaded some file that it knows is infected. Uh, it's, it looks at the file, it figures out that this is probably malware, and what it does is it quarantines the file. So it takes that malware, puts it in some sort of a special folder off to the side and says, hey, this is bad. Take a look at this software. We think it should be bad. It's quarantined for now. If you think we made a mistake, you can fix that by moving it somewhere else or by unquarantining it. But otherwise, click a button and we'll flush it down the toilet for you <laughs> and get rid of it. So what this researcher found, though, was the way some of these antivirus things were set up with their quarantines and also due to a bug on Windows. And this is this is really deep level stuff, but just follow with me for a second. He figured out that he could put in some fake malware, get the antivirus software to to judge it as malware and quarantine it, 
but then he was able to use some special permissions on a Windows bug to get the antivirus software to restore that file, not just putting it back on your file system, but putting it back in a very special place and then running that software with high privileges, like administrator privileges, like more than even privileges you would normally have if you've set up your computer correctly. So it basically kind of magnifies, uh, kind of launders his malware through the antivirus system and uses the antivirus system against you. So this is kind of a, an arcane thing. Again, this is something that uh, uh, I'm sure will, will already be fixed by the time you hear this, If at least if you're keeping your antivirus software, software up to date and your Windows software up to date. Uh, but the, the broader point uh, about antivirus software is that in some cases, it's actually worse than not having it. Now, I still recommend, especially on Windows, I would totally go with Windows Defender. It's free. It comes with it. I would use it all the time. That's fine. Uh, for a Mac, you know, I would look at maybe like a Vira or Sophos. Uh, they've got some really good free home products that you could use. Um, and of course, you know that I often say you should be aware of things that are free, but these companies have a definite revenue model that doesn't that doesn't mean they're going to uh, track you or do anything bad uh, to sell you uh, to make you money because they've got pro products and things. They've got upsells, and that's where they make their money. So anyway, uh, these software packages these antivirus programs, uh, are trying to keep you safe. Um, but especially some of the, some of the things they're doing today, like they're trying to, uh, often a lot of products will advertise that will a live download, uh, feature where they are watching what you're downloading as you're downloading it to look for, uh, to fill it for malware coming down from the internet uh, as you're doing it. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that in order for them to really do that, especially since most of our connections are encrypted, uh, they're over HTTPS, S for secure. Um, the only way that any other software can actually look at the traffic, the downloading bytes, the bits, the packets uh, on your internet connection while it's in while it's in transit is to insert themselves in the middle of that transaction. And that is inherently insecure what they basically do is they install a special certificate and these certificates are what's used to establish and authenticate these connections to allow themselves to insert themselves in the middle of every one of your encrypted pathways between whatever it is you're doing between you and your bank, between you and Amazon, between you and just about everybody today is doing HTTPS is doing secured encrypted traffic. So in order for them to see what's going on, you have to give them special permission to get in the middle of those and, and kind of insert themselves into all these previously secure pipes. And unfortunately, some of these certificates are not well put together and malware, uh, malware has actually figured out how to exploit these certificates to also impersonate other websites and poke into your traffic and do other bad things. It's, it's one of those things where the antivirus software tried to do something good, but as they say, good intentions pave the way to hell. And and in trying to, to, to do something that was really hard to do, they kind of broke the system and left it for open for other exploitation. So anyway, uh, bottom line with AV software, and we could probably do a whole show on this and maybe we should someday, is that you're, you're much better protected these days by just following good web surfing hygiene. Uh, making sure that you you know don't open any attachments that you did not explicitly ask for, certainly not from anybody you don't know, uh, not clicking on links whenever you can, uh, certainly ones, again, that you didn't request, um, 
uh, or from any kind of a suspicious emails, whenever you, whenever you can, when you get links like that, you should try to just go to the web browser and enter them manually yourself. For one thing, because a lot of those links even are not what they say they are. Uh, they'll show you the link. It even might, even might look like a HTTP colon slash slash blah, blah, blah. But if you actually hover your mouse over that, a lot of times the actual link you're clicking on is something else entirely. So anyway, uh, long way of saying, when you get those kind of links, if you're really unsure, uh, just go to your web browser and either search for that uh, website directly or enter the address manually just to make sure that you're really going where you're supposed to go. And if you follow some of these basic web hygiene things, you're that's really what's going to keep you safe. Stay away from some shady sites, block malvertising, um, which we're going to talk about again here in a little bit. And we talked about at length uh, in our episode uh, a few weeks back on um, safe web serving. Just doing those basic things is going to keep you, uh, is, is really what you need to do to keep yourself safe today. Uh, however, uh, if, uh, there's no there's no problem installing, I think, if you want uh, that added layer of protection. Certainly on Windows, I would go ahead and use Windows Defender. There's no harm in doing that. Uh, and on a Mac, again, you could use um, you know something free like a Vira or Sophos. They have free home personal versions that you can use that are that are fairly good as well. All right, and next up, let's talk about revenge porn. <laughs> so you probably saw this in the news because it had some great sensationalistic headlines and uh, about Facebook wanting you to uh, wanting to help you to prevent revenge porn by having you upload nude photos of yourself to Facebook. <laughs> so. Uh, first of all, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about what is revenge porn. So in case you haven't, in case you don't know, revenge porn is this notion that you, you're in a relationship with somebody and while in that relationship, you take nude photos of each other. And uh, once you break up, the person who feels slighted or wants to get back at you uh, then posts those nude photos uh, without your permission somewhere on the Internet, uh, sometimes even putting on your name and address and just horrible things to try to get back at you. Uh, reading from this article in The Guardian, uh, uh, I'll quote, they said roughly 4% of U.S. Internet users have been the victims of, re of revenge porn, according to a 216 report from the Data and Society Research Institute. And that proportion rises to 10% when dealing with women under the age of 30, unquote. That is pretty staggering. Um, and it's just a thing, you know, it's, I obviously would recommend that you don't do this, but a lot of people obviously do, you know, when you're in the relationship, it seems trusting and it seems fun. And, you know, until you break up and you find out that person was a real jerk and, and they're not willing or, and they're willing to, uh, to do some pretty nasty stuff to get back at you. So how does this work? Why on earth would you want to voluntarily upload your nude photos to Facebook of all people? of all companies, uh, in order to try to somehow prevent revenge porn. Well, here's the basic idea. And they've done this, I think, with uh, child pornography and some other things, too, where the, the exchange of these images is illegal um, and just disgusting. So um, the idea is uh, if you can upload the photos, they can take a fingerprint of these photos. They can, they can run a magic algorithm over the digital image to come up with a signature for that image. And then they can get rid of the image. Uh, they just need the image long enough to create this signature. And then if they ever see an image with that same signature again, they will know that that is one of these offending images and they could take it down or even send out police to try to prosecute. So the idea then is that this pilot project that uh, um, Facebook is doing, I guess, in Australia, is if you feel that or are worried that you may be a victim of revenge porn, uh, they are basically saying, well, give us all the nude photos you got and we'll fingerprint them all. And then if we ever see those again, we will try to stop them and, you know, maybe actually even try to prosecute the person. 
obviously this has some issues because, well, first of all, uh, according to Facebook, they actually have employees that will need to do a full review of every uploaded picture, uh, not censored. I have to look the whole picture. I suppose because it's possible someone could up, you know, try to upload photos that weren't necessarily nudes that they just don't want anybody else to post. And then now their system is flooded with these non-porn images that are, you know, from Facebook's perspective is fine to post. But for whatever reason, you're trying to get Facebook to block them uh, just because you don't want those images posted. So, you know, I suppose that's why they have to look at them, maybe for other legal reasons as well. Maybe they have to try to determine if there's any child pornography. If so, they may have to try to, you know, prosecute or get the law enforcement involved. I'm not sure what the reasoning is. Um, but nevertheless, the point is you have to upload these things to Facebook and then you have to trust that Facebook is going to look at them as little as possible, get their, you know, get these fingerprints done for those images and then destroy the images. Um it, so what I don't really get with this whole thing is what we really need to do is we need some way to fingerprint these images images without uploading them. I suppose that, again, that runs into the problem of, of them not being able to verify that they're really bad images. But whew, I don't think I would be wanting to upload all my nude photos to Facebook, even for this purpose. So anyway, thought it was an interesting story. I'm sure you've probably seen this on the news, and I thought I'd at least come back to this and talk about a little bit of how this works so you understand what they're trying to do and how this how that whole system would work in case you're thinking about doing it. But of course, maybe the real takeaway here is that, you know, if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody, you might not want to be sharing nude photos uh, unless you're really, 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 really sure that you can trust this person. All right. One more quick story that's a lot of fun that I thought I'd mention, and then we'll get into our Castle Defense 101 for the week, and we'll talk about the best web browser. Okay. So another really interesting story that I saw in Lifehacker this week uh, was about a chat bot that was specifically designed to waste spammers time. What a great idea. So here's how this goes. So we all get the emails from these spammers and most of them we can tell because usually the English is really poor or they're, you know, they're saying we're going to make millions of dollars for no reason. Uh, way too good to be true. And we've, we've probably gotten to the point where we can spot, at least I hope most of these spam emails that are trying to get us to engage us and get, you know, give them credit card or bank account information or things like that to take our money. Well, most of us probably just delete those, or maybe we even mark them as spam. So the anti-spam and the anti-phishing software built into your computer or, you know, with services like Google and Yahoo can learn from these things and help maybe keep them from being shown or delivered to other people. But there's a new game in town. And what if, what if you could send these spammers on a total wild goose chase? What if everybody started doing that? They wouldn't be able to keep up. At least that's the idea behind this new chatbot. So there's a chatbot being created by a company in New Zealand called NetSafe. Uh, and it's called Rescam. And the idea is you forward these suspected spam emails to a service that they have, an automated service they have, and they pick up the conversation for you with those spammers. And they try to keep them on the hook for as long as possible to waste as much of their time as possible. And it's really quite hilarious. Some of the examples, I'm going to read you one here in a minute. That's just fantastic. Um, Again, but the, the idea being that if we all started doing this, that the spammers were going to get so busy chasing down these wild goose chases, because on the other end of this is a human of some sort, 
trying to correspond with you and get you eventually, convince you eventually to give up your information to them. So this chatbot who's completely automated and very smart and 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 uh, impersonates different people and different personalities somehow picks up on the conversation elements to to drag the thing off into various directions and waste time. It's really funny. Okay, now I'm going to read you this email from the scammer. This is the one that actually was received by this person. And just just think if you were reading this yourself, what you would be, what you would be thinking as you're reading this, and uh, figure out at what point you believe this is not real. <laughs> Probably won't take you long. Now, I'm going to read this just as it's written. And there's a lot of things, actually, I have to almost have to describe. Because, for instance, throughout most of this thing, the paragraphs are separated by commas and not periods and uh, lots of misspellings and things like that. But I'm going to read it to you as is uh, with all the grammar mistakes and everything. And and, uh, it's a little bit long, but just bear with me. It's really funny. Dearest Recipient. I am indeed delighted to read from you knowing fully well that the hand of God is upon my contacting you. And as you've read, spelled R-E-D, as you've read through my proposal mail concerning the nature of this transaction, and I would like you to do, and and what I would like you to do after, you must have this funds secured in your care. I would wish to inform you that I have ordered my late husband attorney Here to write the company official concerning this fund released to you as it is not just something I could tell him with mouth and it will take place. So I will like you to contact my late husband lawyer first so that he get the changing of beneficiary in your name before the fund will belongs to you. And again, he will issued you the original certificate of deposit in which my late husband used when depositing the fund in the security company. Please try and comply with him so that he will do the changing of ownership in your name. Remember that without this documents, the fund in Spain has not yet belongs to you. So it's very important that you get this documents first. With my late husband lawyer, he will assist you till the fund get into your account, even though you don't want to go to Spain and claimed this fund from them. He will help you till the fund get into your accounts without any problem. Please, I am advising, that's <laughs> with a C, advising you to comply with him so that he documents for you. Thank you for your understanding. Here is his name, Amalando Tahoe, and his email address, cabinet underscore Tanahoe2009 at yahoo.com. Try to contact him today. We'll get this if possible and tell him that I, Mrs. Rosemary Ferdinand, send you to him. And after writing to you now, I will send him a message concerning you so that when you write to him, he will know that you are the one that I send to him. Take care and remain blessed. Okay, so obviously this person is not very good with English as their first language. Uh, but this is the scam letter this person got. And when sent off to the scam bot, this is how the scam or this is how the rescam bot would reply. Remember, this is completely automated. Hey there, thanks for getting in touch. I'm sorry to hear about your late husband. I struggle with punctuality myself, and I know how irritating it can be. This sounds like a this sounds like new territory for me, I. Uh, before we get the lawyers involved, would it be a good idea for me to get some legal advice? 
So again, trying to draw the scammer on. So the scammer, a real person, gets this email and replies, thanks very much, my dear, for hearing from you that you <laughs> have contacted my late husband lawyer and please, I am advising you to comply with him because he is the one that will help you to uh, till you get the fund from the security firm in Spain without any problem. Take care and remain blessed. Okay, so this now the spam bot replies. In order to keep the cost down, maybe I could have a maybe I could have a stab at the lawyer stuff. I don't have any quote unquote education, so to speak, but I could probably just Google my way through it. Save us both a bit of money. <laughs> so the reply from the scammer is. Uh, please contact my late husband lawyer. He will assist you till the fund get into your account, even if you don't want to visit Spain. You can also transfer it in, into your accounts without any problem. Uh, it will only take me two days to get everything ready for you. Thank you for understanding. Here is the things we need from you for changing of beneficiary in your name. Full name, full address, age, occupation, telephone number, your identity card number, driver's license number, or international password, passport number. Uh, kindest regard, Mrs. Rose. And here's the response from the spam bot. I put all that info in an attachment in the last email, but the email went a long way, so maybe it got detached somewhere in transit? We'll try again. Check the attachment. From the scammer. There was no attachment attached to your email. <laughs> it's important that we do not run out of time. Please, if you don't want to accomplish accomplished my wish, try and let me know so that I will seek for another person that will do it for me. Take care and hope to read from you soon. For your changing beneficiary, and it goes on. Um, <laughs> the response from the spam bot, hello again, postal or residential? Spam bot, include your full postal address, please. Spam bot replies, current postal address or the new address did i tell you i was moving we fell out of we fell out with the landlord apparently we are not allowed to have indoor plants in the attic because it's a fire hazard <laughs> it just goes on and on and on so the, of course the idea here is just to keep these guys going and going as long as possible just to try to tire them out give them a bunch of busy work to do and it's all automated there's not even a person having to do this so anyway i thought that was hilarious i wanted to pass that on i thought that was really cool i don't see any downside to doing this as far as i can tell uh, so if you want to give this a shot again, when you next time you get one of these spam emails that is obviously spam, just try forwarding it to this service. It's called and again, just forward it to the email address me at rescam.org. And again, that's a uh, by a company called NetSafe in New Zealand. And I think that's pretty, pretty clever. All right, that's the news of the week. Now, before we jump into our Castle Defense 101, choose your weapon uh, choosing the safest web browser. Let's take a little break. The Out Loud Perspective awaits you in life, love, politics, a healthy lifestyle, your faith, personal development, and living an out loud life on AmericaOutloud.com. Blitzer News and Entertainment Network, where you can listen 24-7 on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. So let's talk about what is the safest web browser. Now, before we can even get into that discussion, we've got to define what we mean by safest. And there's really two main aspects that we need to consider when you're talking about the quote unquote safety of a web browser. And that is both security and privacy. They're not the same. So what do we mean by that? So security, uh, a good secure web browser will do its best to prevent you from going to bad sites, known bad sites. Uh, it will prevent you from downloading malware. 
uh, it will prevent you on, from even clicking on links or clicking on ads or clicking on images that might take you to bad places or do bad things. Uh, it will try to hopefully prevent you from installing software uh, that you don't need. And it will support uh, you adding extensions onto your web browser that will even add other security features. And then there's the privacy aspect. And this is something we talked about at length, I don't know, five or six weeks ago when we had the Castle Defense series on web privacy. I recommend you go back and check that out for the full treatment on this. Uh, but basically, we want to prevent tracking. Uh, and this is the case where advertisers, Google being one of the prime ones, um, want to build up as much information on you as possible. So they want to track you around the web, figure out where you go, uh, how you got to each of the sites, how long you spent on those sites, what you may have clicked on when you were on those sites, uh, and merge that together with any other information they can find on you, your income, your gender, your sexual preference, you know, are you married or not, um, how old are you, uh, what uh, may have already said this, your income range, um, you know, are you a vet, are you a pregnant mother, are you uh, any one of these various groups that they might want to try to target with advertising. Because the more that they can target this advertising and prove to the people that they are getting the ads from, that they can highly highly and specifically target people, the more money they can charge. So it's in their best interest to know as much about you as possible. And now they want to keep that information for the most part, but there's nothing preventing them from selling it to other third parties or from giving up to law enforcement if required. Uh, or maybe, maybe even without a warrant. So uh, when you're talking about privacy, you want to uh, protect yourself as much as possible. You want to hide this information as much as possible so that you can't be tracked and that these dossiers that are being built on you are as lean as possible. So given that, what is it, what is it we're really looking for when we want a safe browser? Well, there's a few things to keep in mind that are very important. First of all, these web browsers, these there's there's several of them that we're going to talk about today that are very popular, and that would include Safari, which is the default Apple web browser, and it's only available on Apple. Uh, there's Internet Explorer, uh, which is the default Windows browser, only available on Windows. Uh, and then there's Firefox and Chrome, uh, Chrome being uh, currently the most popular browser by far. Uh, so we're going to talk about those, and in a little bit we'll talk about some other options. Uh, but since those are the most popular, we're going to focus on those. And so ideally, you want a web browser that is going to be both secure and private, that is going to try to protect you from malware, uh, but also try to prevent you from being tracked, uh, certainly when you don't want to be tracked. And finding a browser with those combinations is, is tricky. And we're going to walk through that today. And it changes all the time. These browsers are constantly adding new features. Uh, most of these browsers support some sort of a plugin mechanism or an extension or add-on mechanism where you can uh, add security and privacy features to the browser, even if they're not built in. So in that case, you know, in some senses, um, if you can count on the plugins, you're, you're, you're worried less about the specific browser itself. Some of the other things that we would consider when we're talking about this, and certainly when you're talking about security, is because browsers, like, they're, they're written in soft, they're software, and any software has bugs, guaranteed. No software is perfect. Is perfect. And browsers are big honking complex pieces of software. So there are bugs in these browsers as well, and they will be found. Uh, so one of the other things you might look at to figure out how secure a browser is, is how often is that web browser updated? How often do they push out uh, updates, assuming a lot of those updates are going to have fixes for security bugs? So those are those are some of the things that we you'd want to consider when evaluating these browsers. And we're going to walk through each one of them with that, uh, looking through that lens. 
And let's start with Internet Explorer. Uh, until Chrome and Firefox and some of these other ones came around, uh, particularly Chrome, uh, Internet Explorer was was the one to beat. Internet Explorer was on Windows desktops by default, and Windows was by far the most popular operating system, and therefore Internet Explorer uh, was by far the most popular web browser. It's still being used quite a bit today, of course, um, but I start with it because it's probably the worst of the bunch uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, Internet Explorer has been riddled with bugs for a long, long time. For whatever reason, when Microsoft did an Internet Explorer, they flouted most of the internet standards. Uh, there was HTML, which is the language of the web. Um, and if you ever right click on a web page and you say show source, you'll see the HTML, the raw HTML, which is really what you're viewing. So your web browser takes all this gobbledygook, all this text, this HTML, and makes it all nice and pretty. And that becomes your web page. For whatever reason, Microsoft, well, probably because they were they had a virtual monopoly uh, on this not that long ago, didn't really care. They did their own thing. There's a lot of web pages that you can actually look at the source code, look at the source HTML for these web pages, and you'll see things like, do this. Oh, unless it's Internet Explorer, and then do this. Because Internet Explorer didn't follow the standards, and you had to do something special when it was Internet Explorer. That alone caused all sorts of grief. Uh, and opened up my, uh, Internet Explorer for all sorts of bugs. So from that perspective alone, Internet Explorer is just is buggy uh, and has had all sorts of problems. They release, um, there's been all sorts of security up updates for Internet Explorer because they've been needed. Uh, but the also downside with Internet Explorer is uh, compared to certainly Firefox and Chrome, uh, they release their updates m on a pretty slow schedule, which is to say about once about once a month. Um, whereas uh, the other browsers do a better job at that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So Internet Explorer, I'll just start with it because it's very, it's been popular. A lot of people probably have it, but I'll tell you right off the bat that that is definitely not the one you want to go with. Uh, now, there's a new one in the in the Microsoft uh, stable called Edge, um, and it's worth looking at. It's, it's, it's an interesting kind of a, they started all over um, with Edge and just kind of wipe the slate clean and try to come up with a new one, but it's still kind of a fledgling web browser. And right now it's, it's kind of hard to recommend as the top browser. Um, so both of the ones for Microsoft uh, at this point, I would rule out. Next on the list, let's talk about Safari. Uh, Safari is Apple's web browser and it comes with every Apple machine. And actually for a little while it was available on Windows as well, but back in 2012, they killed that. So it's back to being only on the Mac. And Safari is actually a very interesting browser. Uh, they've gone uh, a long way uh, to try to make it secure. And they've actually got some very interesting privacy features. Uh, and one of the things to keep in mind about the privacy stuff, uh, particularly when you're thinking about Apple and maybe Firefox, is what is the business model of the company producing the web browser? Uh, and in Apple's case, and certainly in Firefox's case, they really are not, their business not, model is not built around you and having private information about you that they can then turn around and make money off of. That is certainly not true with uh, with Google, who most of us think of as a search engine company, but honestly, they're an advertising company. I think I read that 90% of their advertising or of their revenue comes from advertising. So they are very much in the business of knowing as much about you as possible. Uh, so from that perspective, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, Chrome is, is pretty creepy when it comes to privacy. Um, but Apple, um, ha, you know, has kind of gone out of their way to be the anti-Google. Uh, and they've made a point of not collecting data on you and adding all sorts of really cool privacy features to their to their products. In fact, uh, Apple had a really cool technology that I talked about uh, in that previous show called uh, ITP, or Intelligent Tracking Protection, and uh, really ticked off a lot of people in the advertising industry because it 
really clamp down on how much and for how long uh, websites could track you. And most of this is done through cookies. And so this uh, ITP uh, technology that's built into Safari, I don't know if it's actually out yet or if it's coming um, very soon, uh, will basically be looking at how these different third parties are trying to drop cookies on your computer that will eventually be used to track you, you know, for days, sometimes months uh, in the future. And Apple basically said, okay, nobody, nobody wants that. So uh, it's, it's this ITP technology has been geared around trying to severely limit uh, based on your habits, like how often you actually go to these websites and how often you actually really interact with the primary site that's trying to track you. And if you're not interacting with them, Apple basically says, okay, then they really shouldn't be tracking you. Uh, and that's, of course, upset a lot of these folks that want to track you, but they are erring on the side of their users. They are trying to protect them and, and honor uh, some of the uh, the tracking, uh, you know, because these sites do want to make money. Um, and, and and give them a little bit of this, but not too much. And it's um, they're trying to strike a balance, and I think they did a really good job. And, of course, the ad folks beg to differ, but uh, I think it was a really interesting choice. So from a privacy perspective, uh, I think that's interesting. And I, it's good to know that Apple is out there trying to, to protect the users first. And so that's a big plus for Safari. However, uh, one of the downsides, I would say, to Safari is that it's not updated very often uh, in the survey that The Verge did. Uh, it's like almost two months in between updates, which is quite a long time, uh, certainly in today's by today's standards. Though I would have to assume that if you know if Apple finds a really big bug, they would they would uh, release a, a fix right away. Um, nevertheless, that's kind of a slow update cycle in today's world. So um, there's that from a security standpoint. Uh, and the other thing about Safari is honestly, um, as much as I like Apple and Apple products. Uh, I tend to prefer the cross-platform web, web browsers like Firefox and Chrome so that no matter what kind of um, machine that I'm on, if I'm on a Windows PC or if I'm on an Apple Macintosh, uh, I can use the same browser with the same tools and get the same look and feel uh, and have everything synchronized if I use the right um, plugins. Uh, so that my experience is the same and my protections and my privacy are the same no matter what I'm on. Now, if you only have one computer and that computer is an Apple, uh, Safari, uh, obviously, that, that the cross-platform aspect of this is not your issue. And maybe Safari would work well for you that. But let's move on to the two more popular ones. So the 800-pound gorilla in the room is Google's Chrome browser. Uh, from the latest stats I've seen, it's about 60% of the market. Uh, in other words, 60% of internet users use uh, Google Chrome as their web browser. It's very, very popular. Uh, obviously, Google makes a really nice product, um, and it's a it's a fast browser. Um, it's got all sorts of great features. Um, from a security standpoint, it's actually quite, quite good. Maybe the most secure browser uh, of these top four that I'm talking about. Google has some really good security uh, folks, and they're working very hard uh, to make uh, browsing a safe experience, uh, and they're using their clout, they're using their market dominance to push a lot of good changes. Um, sometimes that people find that a little bit heavy-handed. For example, uh, one of the things they've been doing is uh, they've they've got some, of course, mysterious, highly proprietary algorithm for what makes a page rank higher than another page in their search results. Um, and everybody wants to get the top result on Google, so everyone is trying to comply to these uh, these standards. And they're not they're not terribly made public, but Google does come out every so often and say, "Well, if you do this, you're going to be ranked higher if you don't do this." And uh, for example, one of the things they've been doing is making sure that websites are trying to go to HTTPS, the secure version, uh, the encrypted version. Uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, it's become very cheap. In fact, Google's part of a process that has made 
um, getting your HTTPS certificate free uh, and automated, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, so like I said, Google, you know, from a security perspective, Google's got some really good people doing some great work and they are using their market dominance to push, uh, websites, um, uh, to doing the most secure practices possible. So in that sense, Google's very secure. They're also doing some very interesting things with, uh, ad blocking and anti-malware, or that is anti-malvertising. It's a little bit too technical to get into here, but they're trying to build stuff into the browser that basically defeats a lot of the mechanisms used by the bad guys to either get you to click on things you shouldn't or take you to websites that look like the one you're going to that really aren't uh, or to take you just to the malicious websites in general. Um, that's all great stuff. There's one other thing that uh, Google Chrome does in particular that I think is very interesting. And that's a reason why I keep Google Chrome on my machine because it's not my favorite browser. We're going to get to that one next. Adobe Flash is a technology that we used to use a lot on the web to make those really fancy animated flashy ads with video and audio and all those things. Um, but it's pretty much gone by the wayside now because the newer version of HTML, HTML5, has all that kind of stuff built in. We don't need these extra things, these plugins like Flash, which is great because Flash has been horribly buggy for many, many years. I advise people to uninstall it wherever possible. But there are still some websites that require Flash, and in those cases, having Chrome on hand is great because Chrome actually builds Flash right into the browser. It's not a plugin that you have to go get. You never have to install it yourself. In fact, I don't even know if you can in Chrome, uh, and it's kept up to date, and which is important because there's been so many bugs, so many critical, horrible bugs found in Flash that you absolutely have to keep it up to date. So Chrome just decided, well, you know what? We're going to bake it right in, and we're going to make sure that it always stays up to date. So that is a really good thing as far as security goes. Uh, assuming that you have to have Flash in the first place, which uh, is getting less and less true as the days go on. Flash is being, uh, thankfully, set aside in favor of the newer web standards. So now let's talk about the downside of Chrome. Now, again, Chrome is extremely popular, but Chrome is made by Google, and Google's whole gig is advertising, which means that they want to know as much about you as possible. Now, Google is trying to do some interesting things where they're trying to do some blocking of ads and blocking of malware, but they're really not, from everything I can tell, doing anything to block, to protect your privacy. And that's the big thing. That is the reason, personally, I cannot use Chrome as my main browser. It's just too creepy. Google already knows so much about me already. Uh, you know, having having that be my web browser and have them having them know absolutely everything I do on the web is just a little bit too much for me. Uh, so just purely from a privacy standpoint, I cannot recommend using Chrome. It's a shame because Chrome, like, as, like I said, Chrome is a great browser in terms of, uh, in terms of security. Um, but I just, I can't recommend it as the primary browser because of the obvious conflict of interest around privacy. So that leaves one more browser and this happens to be my favorite browser. Uh, there's lots of reason why you could choose any of these, but I will give you my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth and <laughs> make your own decision. And that's Firefox. Uh, of all the browsers we've mentioned so far, Firefox is the only one that's developed by a nonprofit organization. Uh, now, they're only about 15% of the market right now. Uh, Google has said it's got about 60. They're, they're definitely the 800-pound gorilla in this list. Um, but I think Firefox strikes all the right balances, and for that reason, it's my number one browser pick. From an update standpoint, Firefox is about on the same order as Internet Explorer, maybe doesn't off, uh, update quite as often as, um, as Google. 
but they've got a lot of great security features, uh, some of the same ones that are built into Chrome. And again, as these security features come out, there's no reason that one browser can't pick up what the other one does. And Firefox is, you know, trying, uh, trying to keep up and trying to surpass Google where it can. Uh, from a security standpoint, Google probably has a slight edge. Uh, but again, from what I'm going to tell you in the tip of the week, when we get toward the end of the show, uh, you can enhance a lot of these things yourself just by doing certain plugins for your browser that help for privacy and security as well. So uh, from that perspective, I would call, I would say Google Chrome is probably a little bit more secure, uh, but Firefox is certainly secure enough. Uh, the big one for me is privacy. And, and what I like about Firefox is what I don't like about Google and that is that Firefox has no vested interest to to store lots of information about you and and, and keep information on you, track what you do. Uh, unlike Google, there's a definite, like I said, a conflict of interest around that. And while Google is making some interesting uh, moves to try to, you know, tame some of the worst advertising and actually try to block malvertising, uh, they have really no incentive to actually block the tracking part that's behind a lot of that stuff. And that's what really gets me. One of the interesting things that Firefox has coming up, in fact, uh, one of the really tricky and hard to defeat mechanisms for tracking you are on the web is this thing called canvas fingerprinting. It's really kind of tricky, but uh, basically what happens is uh, when these web pages, when you view your web pages, it's possible for that web page to draw a little picture way off to the side, something you can't scroll to, something you can't see, but something that your web browser still believes is out there and is rendered. Um, is created. And what they can do with that is they can do what's called canvas fingerprinting. They can, let's say, put a white background and throw a capital letter T on that. And if you've ever looked very closely, if you've zoomed in uh, on, a, on a picture with text in it that's anti-aliased, you'll see that not only does the little jagged edges around, you know, where the black turns to white in that image, you know, where the edge of the letter is and the start of the background begins, it's not just black and white. There's actually shades of gray in there as well. And when you zoom out, you don't see those things. It looks like a very nice, crisp letter. Um, but under the covers are really up close. There's a, there's all these little shading things going on in these pixels that make up that image. So what these, this canvas fingerprinting does is they draw off to the side so you can't see it. It's not visible in your web browser. They draw some little image. Uh, and then they go through that image the way it's rendered by your computer, which uh, is different uh, for just about everybody, depending on what kind of computer you're on, what version you're running, what browser you're running, what version of that browser you're running, what fonts you have installed on your computer, what your you know computer's graphical processor is. All these things go into exactly how that um, image is rendered. And they go through and they look at that little capital T or whatever on a white background and they read that pixel by pixel. And just slight variations in that will make you look unique out of everybody else there that's going to this website. So they actually kind of take a snapshot. They, they do a little signature of that little canvas, that little image, uh, and they can use that to uniquely identify you when you come back. Now, of course, if you've changed something in the meantime, that throws it off. But we don't change those kind of things very often. So this whole canvas fingerprinting thing is a really tricky technique. Uh, to track you and get and uniquely recognize you when you come to a certain website. Well, Firefox has got a feature coming up where they're going to defeat that uh, by. Actually, I'm not sure exactly what the technology is, but they're 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 making they're making that canvas fin fingerprinting something that will not uniquely identify you. So again, so that's a that's a great privacy feature uh, coming in Firefox soon, uh, with more on the horizon. Firefox is my go-to web browser. So let's sum this up this way. 
of the four main browsers, the ones that we talked about today, that would be Safari, Internet Explorer, Firefox, and Chrome. Here's my personal strat strategy for using web browsers. Firefox is my, way, is my main web browser. It's the one that I believe has the best mix of security, performance, and privacy features. Uh, and I use that for just about everything with some plugins, which we're going to talk about here at, uh, for the tip of the week. Uh, but when I run across some website that for whatever reason has having trouble with, uh, with running in Firefox, uh, probably because it's a flash based website, that's when I pull out Chrome uh, and I'll go to that website using Chrome. if I just absolutely have to have whatever that website is providing me and that website requires Adobe flash, I do not have flash installed in, uh, for Firefox. I don't even have that plugin installed. Um, uh, but when I, when I go to a website that needs it and I feel that I need whatever that that website has, I will then bring up Chrome and go to that website so that the flash is built in. It's guaranteed to be up to date. Uh, and then I could view that site and then go back to Firefox for everything else. All right. So again, real quick, before we get to the tip of the week, uh, let me just rattle off a couple other browsers you, browsers you might want to take a look at if you're interested. Uh, one is called Opera. Uh, you actually may have heard of that one. It's probably way down the list for most of the, for the most popular browser. It's similar in the single digits as far as usage out there. Um, but it's gotten a lot of good reviews in terms of being uh, high performance. Uh, the security aspects seem to be pretty good about that as well. Privacy aspects, we don't really know so well. Um, and because it's a less popular browser, it's kind of hard to get a lot of good reviews on that. People tend to review the big ones first. Um, but that's an interesting browser you might want to take a look at, especially if you're looking for something maybe a little faster, you might try that against that if that's an issue for you. When if privacy is something you really, really care about, then you definitely need to look at one called Tor. The Tor browser was built off of a, a Firefox base, I believe, and it's around the Tor project, which used to stand for the Onion Router. I'm not going to get into all what that means, but basically the Onion Router, the Tor system, uh, is trying to prevent the websites you're going to from being able to see who you are. And by that, I mean your IP address. So uh, it's it's a privacy-based browser. It's not really a security-based browser, but for privacy, if that is your number one concern, you should take a look at least at the Tor browser. Now, it's not perfect. Uh, in fact, there have been a couple bugs. So if you get the Tor browser, make sure you get the latest version of the Tor browser. But it's built for privacy. Um, it's not updated quite as often, I don't think. Um, but uh, again, it's built around the Firefox core, so it's got uh, most of those features as well. Give that one a look if privacy is your main concern. And finally, uh, there's a new one on the block called Brave. It's got a nice kind of a lion head icon. It's very interesting. Brave is another offshoot from the Mozilla Foundation. Um, and it's an open source browser, which has a lot of pluses in terms of security and privacy. It allows other people to actually get in there and see what this thing is really doing under the covers. That's great. Um, it's got a lot of security and privacy features built in. Uh, it's kind of billing itself as a, a secure and private browser, so it's kind of its thing. Uh, however, it's kind of new too, so maybe not be quite as uh, polished and the fit and finish might need a little bit of work, but it's definitely one to keep an eye out for. All right, so just in summary, my personal favorite is Firefox. Um, I'd like it for a good balance of security security and privacy. Uh, Chrome is probably a good second. It's probably a little more secure than Firefox, but the privacy aspects are what bother me personally. If that, you know, if you're one of the many people that don't, that don't seem to care anything about privacy, then certainly give Google a, Google a good look as well. Uh, and now we're going to take a short break. I'm going to come back for the tip of the week. We're going to talk about some plugins for your browsers that will help them make them a lot more secure. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. 
news blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, and now it's time for our tip of the week, and we're going to tie this into our castle defense uh, discussion today of browsers, and we're going to talk about great secure and privacy uh, plugins for your browsers. From a security standpoint, uh, the main thing I would say is remove any extensions or add-ons or plugins or whatever that you don't need. Uh, every one of those you have installed, especially that if you're not if you're not really using it, it's just one more uh, place where you could be attacked by a hacker. These things have bugs. All software has bugs. So if you're not using it, remove it. And in particular, I would make sure that you call out a few. So first of all, Adobe Flash. Remove that on every one of your browsers. Now you can't, as I said, you can't remove it from Chrome because it's built in. Uh, But remove it from all your other browsers. Any browser you use, uninstall the Flash plugin. Um, And just don't use it. And when you hit those websites that say, hey, you've got to have Flash to run, please install, click here. Don't do it. Just bring up Chrome. It'll have Flash already installed, and you can go to that website on Chrome, use it there, and then close Chrome and go back to Firefox or whatever your other browser is. So remove Flash. Remove Java. Uh, if you've got a Java plugin in your webs in your uh, in your web browser, take that out. That's almost never needed. Uh, if you happen to find a website that that's a really old website, maybe that still requires it. You know, you could try to find a workaround. Some of these old websites will actually default to the old technology until they find out you can't do it, and they'll say, "Oh, this guy can't do Java." So, you know, we'll do it the new way. I don't know why they would do it in that order, but some of them, some of them do. So, when you don't have Java in there at all, it may hopefully default to the newer way, which is more secure. Take Java out as well. Uh, while you're at it, you might as well remove Microsoft Silverlight again. I know there's some websites that require these things. Hopefully, they're fewer and far between now. Um, if you've got websites that absolutely require it, and some of those might be, you know, DRM based websites where you want to watch movies in your web browser, you might have to leave it installed for those, in which case you can always put it back there. That's free. There's no reason you can't put it back, but, um, I would remove it until you know for sure that you need it. If you've got toolbars and kind of extra add-ons that you're not using, I would just remove all of those. Most of them are probably privacy nightmares and there could be security holes as well. Now, the other thing that you want to do for security is install LastPass. That's your password manager. We've talked about this in a previous Castle Defense 101. You cannot possibly remember any good passwords. If it's easy enough for you to remember, it's probably also easy for a bad guy to guess. So you want to generate totally random, long, 
gibberish passwords that you don't have to remember because your password manager does it for you. Uh, and I would recommend LastPass. There are others and you can look at other ones. That's fine. Um, but you know, whatever your password manager is, pick one uh, and get that browser inst uh, extension installed. And one of the nice things about having uh, those installed as well is when you try to get fished, if someone tries to take you to a fake website, that will not fool your, your password manager. Your password manager will tell that that is not the right site and will not offer to fill in your username and password because that's not the right website. So that's another great important security feature of having uh, a password manager. Now, the, the rest of these ex extensions I'm going to talk about in the tip of the week are really privacy-based. Uh, and these are great. And again, the web browser is doing some of this for you already. Uh, but I would still recommend you try out these uh, these other extensions. First off, uBlock Origin. Uh, that is an ad blocker. It will basically block all ads. Uh, and I know we've talked about this before. Websites do need to make money. And the way they make money in a lot of these cases is with ad blockers. Some of them will actually not even work if they detect that you're running an ad blocker. Um, you know, and you'll have to deal with those sites as they come up. But what you can do in every one of those cases is you can turn off your ad blocker for any given site. So if you want to support a website, if you actually want to see their ads so that they can make some money, uh, you can actually whitelist those sites with your with uBlock Origin. Uh, and they will those ads will get through. Uh, or if they say that, you know, if they recognize you have an ad blocker and don't let you view their content unless you turn it off, you have that option with uBlock Origin. And of course, another one you can look at is uh, AdBlock Plus. Uh, we talked with Ben Williams uh, just a couple of weeks ago about that product, and they have an interesting approach to this as well with their acceptable ads program, but you can also turn off all ads as well. And one of the reasons that I you know, that I, that I recommend ad blockers is because of malvertising and uh, even the best of sites, the most, uh, the most well-known sites uh, can have advertisements from companies that they didn't, they didn't put them there, but a bad guy buys ad space and gets his malvertising up there and you can still get infected. So uh, until they kind of get that under control, uh, I think you're perfectly within your ethical rights to block as many of these ads as possible. And the next one on the list is Privacy Badger. This is from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, it's, it's sort of an ad blocker. It's also just a privacy uh, anti-tracking uh, tool. And the nice thing about this tool is it's kind of learns as it goes. So it's looking for bad behavior. It's looking for tracking behavior. And as it learns that it's going on, it will prevent it from happening. So um, it's not just a site that uh, that, that kind of remembers the sites that are doing a lot of this tracking and blocking those. It's actually figuring it out as it goes in a smart way to block sites it might not even know about yet. So uh, highly recommend Privacy Badger from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And finally, one more from the EFF that is uh, a great one to have, and I think the Brave browser actually builds into it. It's called HTTPS Everywhere. And as you recall, the S from HTTPS is uh, for secure, and that means it's encrypted, which means that uh, your communications between you and that website are completely encrypted. Nobody else can sniff it and figure out what you're talking about. Uh, can see any of the information going by. The key to remember here is that a lot of the important websites like banks and places that would get, take your credit card, they're probably already encrypted. But some websites, for some reason, will actually do both encrypted and non-encrypted. They'll do HTTP as well as HTTPS. And some of them, for some reason, default to the non-encrypted version. So HTTPS everywhere makes sure that whenever you go to a website that supports it, the HTTPS will be used. So uh, another great security and privacy feature. All right, and that is it. That is our show for this week, our Castle Defense series on picking the best web browser and the best plugins. So just to recap, uh, I would personally recommend using Firefox as your main web browser, uh, having Chrome on the side in case you go to some sort of a website that requires Flash because you should not have Flash installed on Firefox. 
uh, or any web browser. You should only use Chrome in those weird cases where you find websites that still cling on to that old nasty Flash technology. So if we find those websites, you can fire up Chrome and, and, and use the Flash that's built in. It's automatically kept up to date. Uh, so that keeps it more secure. Uh, but in general, I wouldn't use Flash at all. So I would go for Firefox as your main browser and have Chrome there as a backup. And then I would install some great plugins uh, for, to, for your security and privacy. Start by uninstalling everything you don't need, including Flash uh, and Java, and then install your uh, password manager plugin so that it'll help you protect you against going to phishing sites and accidentally entering your credentials or information into a, a site that's not real. Um, and it will also help you with uh, great passwords so you don't have to worry about the hackers guessing your passwords. Uh, then uBlock Origin for blocking ads, Privacy Badger, and HTTPS everywhere, both from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Great privacy plugins. That wraps up all my recommendations for this week's folks. And uh, tune in next week. We will have another great show for you. Uh, of course, check out my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons on Amazon. You can go to my website, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I've got a blog there where I try to post uh, at least once a week. Uh, I've got a newsletter as well where I send a tip of the week. It's often the same as the one we do here, but sometimes it's nice to get that in your email because it comes with links you can click on easily and to get to some of this information and have some pictures and stuff like that. You can also uh, go to patreon.com and find Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You can help me to help you and help everybody else. Uh, by spreading the word and uh, supporting my efforts to educate the masses on these security, these critical security and uh, privacy issues. All right, and until next week, don't get caught with the drawbridge. Take care. Everybody.